0: Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. State Department of Corrections Executive Director Roland Cook says Utah's tough-on-crime approach has been costly. It's led to mass incarceration, overcrowded prisons, unacceptable recidivism rates. Representative Eric Hutchings, Republican from Kearns, says his criminal justice reform bill, House Bill 348, will result in an epic shift in how the state treats offenders. Salt Lake Tribune reports that under 348, drug offenses would carry a smaller penalty, probation officers could reward as well as punish, and whenever possible, the mentally ill and drug addicted would be shuttled into treatment rather than jail. Prosecutors worry that reducing charges and sentences would be counterproductive. And All of this comes against the backdrop of a possible prison relocation, and a desire to cut costs by reducing the number of inmates. Coming up in the program today, we're going to be talking with a representative from Utah Commission on Criminal Juvenile Justice uh, from the Utah Department of Corrections. We'll talk with a person from uh, ACL Utah and with Representative Angel Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. We begin with the bill sponsor, uh, Representative Eric Hutchings from uh, Kearns. Representative Hutchings, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us.
1: You guys, pleasure to be with you. Thanks for taking the time to uh Help us dig into this topic pretty uh, pretty thoroughly. I appreciate that very much.
0: Uh, so, uh, what I'm reading is that uh, you've you've been concerned about this issue for quite some time, but you feel that uh, it's been given greater impetus by this uh, prison relocation and, uh, and a need to uh, reduce prison population.
1: I, there's no question. I've uh, been on the budget committee that's over the Department of Corrections now since first entering the legislature fourteen years ago Um, i've been the chair of that committee uh... for the last seven years and i can tell you that there has never been ever a time when people have been willing to take the time and effort to talk really, really deeply about how the system works, all the different parts and pieces of the system, until the governor announced that he was going to seriously look at the prison relocation. And, uh, and then it was announced that, uh, that we're actually doing that, and the, and the relocation is happening, that um, everybody now wants to talk about it. It's been absolutely wonderful. It's brought it to the forefront. And one of the big things is when you look at the dollar amounts associated with a prison facility like that, it just dwarfs the amount of, of money and resources that we would need to begin to help to mitigate that in a reform package. And so it opened up a whole new world of conversation across the entire spectrum of the judicial system. And it has been very exciting. It's, it's been a very long process. There have been people who have been working on this for well over a decade. I've been personally working on it now for about four years and very specifically working on this effort uh, for about the last year with the Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice and
0: the Pew Foundation. Uh, yeah, we should mention that uh, the Pew Foundation, uh, the commission on uh, uh, that you just uh, cited, uh, provided some support for this. Uh, I'm also reading that uh, the, you see is a key, the, uh, one of the biggest pieces here that you're trying to solve is recidivism rate and re-entry.
1: In- oh, yeah, that's exactly One of the big points that I hope... Uh, all of the folks with us today take uh, away from this is that last year uh, or at least in the last year we had the data for the complete data so 2013 we tracked who went to prison and it was just unbelievably revealing that two-thirds of the people that we actually put into prison in 2013 had already been released into the community either on probation or on parole if they had gone through the uh, you know the incarceration process and had, um, you know, spent some time in, in incarceration and then were released out to the community. But we've gotten to a point where we were no longer afraid, you know, of who they were, but when they went out to the community, they, they weren't successful, they, they, uh, they slipped and fell, they didn't necessarily uh, commit new crimes, it's just that we had no really good structure for helping them get reintegrated, and so the only way we had to help them get resources was put them right back into prison again. Mm. And so that's going to make a huge difference. But probably the most important thing uh, that's going to change here is how we look at who breaks the law. Because right now, there's—I mean we do the best we can, and our, our Department of Corrections has done a wonderful job with the resources we've given them. But the problem is most people who come in are just put into one category. You broke the law. You're a criminal. We've assumed for years, as you mentioned, uh, Director Cook said, that, uh, you know, get tough on crime just meant that we believed everybody just had a bad attitude, and if we made life miserable enough, they would change their attitude and decide to to become good people again. What we're going to do that's the biggest change in all of this is we're going to take a really hard look right in the beginning about who's coming to prison and why. Why did you break the law? What caused you to do that? And it's going to break it down into three basic categories. I'm going to be more sophisticated than this, but, but this is a really good way to look at it. You've got people that have criminal uh, challenges uh, and are truly criminally minded, and they needed to be treated like criminals. They do need a very tough, miserable existence in order to try and get them out of that mindset. But then you've got people with substance abuse issues, and you've got people with mental health issues that really aren't criminally minded. They've just broken the law, because they, they've just gotten themselves completely off track, and to treat them like criminals has made it worse, and we've got the data to prove it. We do not have a safer community because of the way we're currently handling it. And so what we hope to do is to do early assessments about the risks and the needs of each of these people as they come in, and if, if they're not criminally minded and they really do just have a serious substance abuse problem or a mental illness problem, then we're going to go into treatment and really focus on helping them get past that so that they can get their lives back on track and not put them next to hardened criminals. Because what we found over the years is when you take someone who has a drug problem and you put them in jail with someone who is a criminal and loves being a criminal, what happens is a year later you have someone come out on parole uh, who is actually a, now a, a more sophisticated, criminally-minded drug addict. Mm. And we've made it worse, and we know we do, and we've, we've got the data to prove it, so we're changing that. It's going to be a huge shift, and as you mentioned early on, I believe an epic shift in how we manage this entire system.
0: If you just joined us, we're talking about House Bill 348. The sponsor is Representative Eric Hutchings. He's a Republican from Kearns. We're talking with him in this part of the program. We'll have other guests to look at this issue later in the program. We'd love to know what you think about this at 1-800-826-1495, 1-800-826-1495. You can join us at upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com, and on Twitter. We're at Utah Public Radio. Uh, so I wonder what you say, Representative Hutchings, to the prosecutors who are skeptical of this. Uh, I'm, I'm reading uh, quotes from uh, uh, the prosecutor out in Una County, uh, Mark Thomas, who I guess is representing other prosecutors. Uh, he says this is uh, kind of a think tank perspective, and uh, that, that uh, perhaps this bill is not considering the practical aspects of this, and, and he's, he's worried. This might send the wrong message.
1: Uh, and first of all, I want to thank the... The entire prosecutor community—they have been excellent to work with me, uh, giving me lots of feedback. And quite frankly, they're our gatekeepers. They're the ones that uh, guard the fences and, and make sure that uh, you know bad people are being uh, punished appropriately. Um, The challenge in this case, and and the response that we get back to that, is this particular process, more than any other I've ever worked on ever here at the legislature, has had the most broad-based support uh, that you have ever seen. It's involved every single part of the criminal justice system, from the courts to the the Department of Corrections, adult probation and parole, crime victims, advocates, board of pardons, you name it, they've all been at the table. And the concern that we're going to send the wrong message, um, the problem right now is we've got the data to show that the system that we're currently using does not work. We're keeping people in prison longer and actually getting a worse result. It's costing us more. We're disrupting lives longer and we're not getting... Um, a better return for all of that investment. And so while there is, you know, we we do need to be careful, make sure that we're, we're appropriately sorting out who really is a criminal and treating them that way. And they're right about that. You know, if you have someone who really is criminally minded, loves being a bad guy, we need to be careful to make sure that we treat them that way and protect the public. But when you've got somebody who really just needs help, they don't need to be treated like a criminal and they don't need and and again we our own state data proves that the longer we keep them incarcerated the worse they become before they get out and we're creating our own problems by having them in there so it's a giant leap of faith but it's one honestly that the data backs up and i think the process is going to be solid enough uh that you know it's not gonna be perfect when we first roll it out we'll have to you know, fix a few kinks here and there, I'm sure, as we go along over the next couple of years. But uh, absolutely the right direction and a direction that we need to go aggressively towards.
0: What about uh, safety? I'm sure there, you know, that's a possible pushback, right? Uh, and, and get tough on crime. We, you've uh, elucidated some of the problems of that. Um, but, the, you know, the reasoning behind that is uh, to keep us safe. So under your bill, would, would we still be safe?
1: Uh, not only would we be safe, we're going to be much safer. In fact, with this, with this reinvestment, with this entire reform package, if we can keep this thing as an entire package and roll out all the different elements of it, you will literally see what I believe will be the best criminal justice system literally in the entire United States. And here's why. Go back to the comment I made a moment ago. Let's say you take a young person, 22 years old, likes to party, gets themselves off the rails a little bit, gets into drugs, and gets in trouble. They're not a criminal at this point, as, it, as in you know, they love to just get out there and break the law, and they break the law because they just love breaking the law they've done it um, because they've gotten themselves in a situation where they have become addicted to drugs or or in a lot of cases it's because people have a mental health issue a mental illness and they treat it with illegal drugs because we don't have other resources and, uh, so what happens is you take a person like that, you put them in jail, you sit them next to an individual who really does love to break the law. You know, they're a little gangster or something like that. and They just, they love it. This is their thing. And you know, all their homies are involved in it. And the problem is you put those two people together for a year. And when that drug addict comes back out of jail, you are going to have a drug addict that's now going to be very sophisticated in how to steal, how to, uh, you know, breaking and entering, all those kinds of things, you're going to create a criminal out of someone who was never a criminal before. And we can prove that. We're doing it all the time. It's not intentional. But again, going back to the prison move, the way our system currently runs right now, we do not have the facilities and the ability to do this type of separation of individuals. And so we do. We just lump them all in together and hope for the best. And it's not working. And, and we know there's a better way, and we know how to fix it. And uh, and this bill, this House Bill 348, is going to do a wonderful job of getting us a long way down that road.
0: Uh, we just have a couple minutes left. I know you have to get going, Representative. Uh, uh, the costs here. Um, the, there's, there's going to be a price tag for your bill, but you're looking, you're hoping for significant savings and many fewer prison beds needed, right? What did, uh, Tell me about that.
1: You bet, and thank you for giving me the chance to do that. Uh, we are going to significantly increase the amount of supervision in the community. What we're hoping is, because right now we do a pretty good job when people are behind the fence. When they're in lockup, we do a pretty good job of keeping them in programming with therapy and things like that. But once they get out and back into the community, most of that just disappears. We're going to create that infrastructure into the community and try and generate a warm handoff type of scenario where when they come out of lockup there will be a continuum that will take them to treatment, they will have supervision, they will have people there to back them up and help them get, uh, get started off again. It's gonna cost us right now, uh, the price tag on it is about 15 million bucks. Uh, but if done properly, we believe two very, very big impacts will happen. It's estimated that over the course of the next 20 years that we will save almost a half billion dollars, 500 million dollars in savings from not incarcerating people who did not need to be incarcerated or for helping people to get off the criminal track and back into society and productive again. And so it's a it's a pretty small price to pay to not only help save families, but help keep people, uh, you know, back to where they're functioning in society and contributing in society. Uh, and, with, and and that's not even the savings that we would have from not having to build a larger prison. This is just the incarceration costs, a half a billion dollar savings, and at the same time will produce a more uh, safer community and a better environment and help families um, and, and again we've got the data to back it up that's that's the, the big advantage we've got is that other states are quite a f- bit further down the road than we are on this and we've watched what they've done and we know that uh, what the best practices are and if we just implement those pieces we feel really confident that we can achieve those results.
0: So your bill we get a hearing I, I would assume soon at, at, in committee what's your prediction uh, past committee pass past the legislature?
1: You bet. You bet. Tomorrow morning, actually. Tomorrow morning in the law enforcement committee uh, in the House, uh, the bill will come out just uh, right after 8 o'clock a.m. And uh, I'm very optimistic. And again, the reason why this will work is because it's been a top to bottom. Everybody's been at the table. All the interested parties have been at the table. Everybody's had a chance to give their input. Is it a perfect system? Is everybody completely in love with it? No. But uh, at the end of the day, we know we are going to gain a much better result. Um, and it's a good compromise. You know, when you, when you walk away from a negotiation and one side doesn't feel like they beat the other side up, you probably got a pretty good deal going, and I think that's where we are. I'm, I'm very optimistic about getting this done this year.
0: Our guest in this part of the program has been Representative Eric Hutchings. He's a Republican from Kearns. His bill, House Bill 348, is what we're talking about this hour. And uh, we're going to talk about this further following a break. In the meantime, thank you so much, Representative.
1: It's been a thrill to be with you. Thank you so much for giving us the chance to talk about this important project.
0: Thank you. Uh, coming up following the break, we're going to be joined by Ron Gordon, Executive Director of the Utah Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice. We'll also talk with Mike Haddon, Deputy Director of Administrative Services at the Utah Department of Corrections. Later in the program, Anna Brower, Public Policy Advocate with ACLU Utah, and Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. More following the break. This is Randy Watts bringing more to life. Will you be a caregiver?
2: For the first time, adult couples have more parents than children. How do you prepare for this new role? Communication is key to success in any job. The role of a caretaker is no exception. Begin with your parents' wishes. Talk to them about personal goals, housing, legal, financial, and medical decisions. Some of these conversations may be easy. Some will be difficult. Start the conversation now to bring more to their lives.
3: Support for Bringing More to Life on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and the Sunshine Terrace Foundation and Logan. Advancing wellness, independence, dignity, and comfort. Information at sunshineterrace.com. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about the criminal justice system in Utah. Representative Eric Hutchings, Republican from Kearns, uh, says his criminal justice reform bill, House Bill 348, which we're talking about in the program today, would result in an epic shift in how the state treats offenders. State Department of Corrections Executive Director Roland Cook says Utah's tough-on-crime approach has been costly. It's led to mass incarceration, overcrowded prisons, and unacceptable recidivism rates. And we're asking you, do you think this is the right solution? Is it needed? What's your uh, opinion of this? Uh, you can call us 1-800-826-1495. Our email is upraccess@gmail.com, at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Coming up in the program, we'll be talking with Anna Brower, public policy advocate with ACLU of Utah, and Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. Right now, we're joined by Ron Gordon, Executive Director of the Utah Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice. Welcome to the program.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Appreciate you joining us. And Mike Haddon, Deputy Director of Administrative Services with Utah Department of Corrections, joins us as well. Thank you. Thank
4: you. Thank you for having us.
0: Let me start with you, uh, Ron Gordon. The uh, Utah Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice has been involved here at issuing recommendations, working with the Pew Center, I, I believe, as well. Um, w- let me start with the with the impetus behind this. What what are the key problems that you see it that uh, need to be solved?
4: The governor, in his State of the State address in 2014, identified the revolving door of crime as a significant problem, and he asked my commission during that State of the State address to do a comprehensive review of criminal justice policies and identify ways that we can stop that revolving door problem, stop reduce the levels of recidivism in the state and in the process increase public safety. So it's really been this high recidivism rate that was the largest impetus.
0: And I'm I'm reading some 46% within three years. Is is that an accurate figure? More or less than that?
4: That, that is that that's an accurate figure, and that comes from a, a deep data dive that Pew helped us perform over the past year. We analyzed sentencing data. We analyzed data from the Department of Corrections to see how long offenders are staying in prison and and how often they return to prison. And it was that deep data dive that allowed us to figure out what are the trends in Utah and are we happy with these trends or not.
0: Mike Haddon with the Department of Corrections Are, are I'm assuming you're seeing this as well, do you, do you see this as a, a key problem here?
2: Um, yeah, it certainly is. Um, this is something that we we know today that we didn't know many years ago and that that's how to effectively work with the, this offender population and one of the things that we know today that we didn't know then was that uh, with low-risk offenders, uh, we, we do actually a lot more harm to them than good when we bring them deeper and deeper into the criminal justice system. Um, a lot of what the reforms are talking about is, you know, providing the, the correct assessment of these offenders and handling them in a way that will allow them to succeed. You know, 90, 97% of the offenders who come to prison will, will come back out into our neighborhoods and our communities, and when they come out, they've got a lot of barriers in front of them. Um, it's very difficult for them to find employment Um, There are communities along the Wasatch Front that have programs like the Good Landlord Program that will make it difficult, if not impossible, for them to get housing. Um, and access to to treatment, all of those things are key in order for these offenders to be able to succeed in the community and those resources are are not necessarily available for some of the treatment and then there are those other barriers in front of them. If we can divert more of these lower level offenders from coming into the prison system or coming deeper into the criminal justice system, research shows we'll have much better outcomes with that and that's been demonstrated in other
0: states. Let me go to an email here, this is uh, Glenn uh, he says, I've looked into this issue from the outside for quite a while. As far as I can tell, we're putting drug addicted people into prison in order to feel good about a certain stance on crime. I believe that many drug addicted people are in need of rehabilitation rather than incarceration. It's obvious that jail time does very little to change drug addiction, whereas there are rehabilitation programs that have been shown to be highly effective. And what would be the cost? Yes, I would argue that a binary system of criminal incarceration for criminals, drug rehabilitation for addicts, would be more effective and actually cost-effective. We have a unique opportunity to build new prison and build this into it, separate systems. I also think that laws need to change. Branding someone with a felony is virtually an endgame. We should reevaluate this and take a look at how this act affects people's lives and narrows their options, thereby making them more prone to returning to prison. That's Glenn, who emailed us to upraccess@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can as well. love to hear what you think. Thanks for that, uh, Glenn. Uh, so let me start with this Ron Gordon. Um, that That's, you know, a lot of that, I believe, is in this bill.
4: It is. Glenn's thoughts uh, are reflected in the bill. They're reflected in the report that we uh, published and is available on our website that essentially says when we incarcerate individuals whose primary problem is a substance use disorder, we make things worse. Now, if they have violent tendencies and if they are harming the community in other ways, then that's different and that's not the population we're trying to address with this bill. We're talking about those who can be safely supervised in the community and end up in prison sometimes because... We have not been taking the right approach, and we just get frustrated, and we don't know what else to do, so we put them in jail, we put them in prison, and and as we, we do what Mike was mentioning, we drive them further and further into the criminal justice process. And our intent is to intervene early with the appropriate treatment, with the appropriate level of supervision, so they don't have to keep going further and further into this justice system.
0: Mike Haddon, I wonder, uh, I don't know if you have the figures at your fingertips, what what percentage of the prison population at this point would be, I guess, lower level drug offenders, the, the ones who would be under this bill diverted into rehabilitation?
2: Um, and not necessarily the, the lower level um, drug offenders. Um, probably uh, around 80% of the prison population will have an underlying substance abuse problem. Um, they may not come in for a, a drug possession or distribution or manufacturing crime, but they do have an underlying uh, substance abuse problem. Um, we do have uh, the, the the, the largest and fastest growing population coming into the prison are individuals that are coming in with a simple possession um, kind of a, a, a situation and those are the folks that, as, as Ron just mentioned, are, are struggling with a substance abuse disorder or additionally mental health disorders or, or both of them simultaneously. Um, I think the the way that we're looking at these issues today both in the criminal justice system and by policymakers, is substance abuses is, is is a medical problem an addiction problem um, the criminal justice intervention for those that are those lower level offenders are not actually helping them as much as uh, treatment in the community would would be able to provide for them now at the same time just like ron said those offenders that are those higher risk that are risk to public safety um... because they can't um, and behave properly in society, those are the folks that we need to be reserving the prison beds for, and we need to change the way that we address those that are lower level with these kinds of um, substance abuse, mental health disorders, um, better in the community. And it's more cost effective. It costs us $28,000 a year to keep a person in prison um, much cheaper to provide them uh, mental health and substance abuse services in the community and receive a better outcome.
0: Sir Ron Gordon, that, that figure surprises me. Uh, probably doesn't you, uh, 80% at least have a you know, 80% have various, uh, at least an underlying uh, drug problem
4: it, It's a high number and it is it's staggering when you think about the amount of money that we spend uh, incarcerating a lot of these individuals, Mike noted that the cost differential is pretty staggering as well, so the approach that we're suggesting, which is appropriate community supervision and uh, with a combination of treatment and other resources, it's, it's a good thing to do. It's the right thing to do. It's the fiscally responsible thing to do. not only is it less costly, but we get a much better return on the taxpayer dollar. And, and this is a population that, by and large, I think there's community support for saying, yeah, let's not lock those individuals up if they don't need to be locked up because they keep coming back to our communities and they keep committing property crimes. They keep stealing things. They keep uh, committing identity theft to further their their drug addiction. And so the community at large, I think, feels better with an approach that will stop that cycle of addiction and crime.
0: Hmm. So have you seen over time a, a shift in public opinion on this? Wanting to get away because at, at a certain time, at least from my point of view, there was there was quite a bit of public support for a you know get tough on crime approach. Responding to safety issues, I think. Have you we, seen? We've seen assault? attitudes
4: uh, changing over time, and in fact, uh, you mentioned that we've partnered with the Pew Charitable Trust, and and uh, recently they commissioned a poll, a public opinion poll. Um, It's a completely nonpartisan poll of registered Utah voters, and there's overwhelming support. Eighty-three percent of those polled said, yes, we support treatment over incarceration for the nonviolent offenders who have a substance use disorder. Hmm.
0: I wonder – let me turn back to Mike Haddon. Um, Some prosecutors have expressed reservations. Um, that this uh, might have unintended consequences here, might be sending the wrong message. I wonder what you would uh, say to that. What's what's your attitude? And and under this plan, there would be supervision, right? They wouldn't. Some of these offenders would not be in prison. They'd be under supervision
2: yeah and that, that that's correct you know change any time you're you're facing change especially substantial change there's always there's always concern um and and we're not surprised to, by by that concern uh, it is it is moving in a different direction in in terms of how we're working with with these offenders specifically especially when we're talking about um drug possession uh crimes possibly um through the legislation uh, moving the the first two Potentially, if it's amended uh, to be class A misdemeanors and third one would go up to a felony um, four misdemeanors or fifth one to a felony as that's currently drafted. Um, it, understandably, change is difficult, but what research is showing us is there is a better way for us to work with these offenders in the community, and we all have to... Uh, decide that we're willing to make a change here. What we're doing currently is not working. Um, That's fairly clear in the recidivism rates that that we're talking about. And as Glenn had mentioned in his email, um, once they uh, go beyond that uh, Class A misdemeanor to the felony level, um, it becomes extraordinarily difficult for these individuals to succeed because there are, again, so many barriers in front of them. I think if you think in your own mind, if you're in a situation where you now have a felony on your record, um, you've lost your job because you've been in jail or prison for a pe- period of time, primarily jail. Um, now you're trying to reestablish yourself. You can't get a job because you've got a felony on your record, and they're always screening for those kinds of things. Uh, maybe you've lost your housing as well, and you want to go get a house. And um, Through programs, again, like the Good Landlord Program, all of the affordable housing is now off the market. So now you're left not only with a substance abuse problem, but you also have those... Uh, Things that we all take for granted—the ability to earn a wage, the a, a place to live, shelter—are pulled out from under you, and it's it's no wonder that they're not succeeding when they're struggling with substance abuse disorders. It's a good way to escape. Um, so, yeah, it is difficult. It is a bit of a, a shift in the way that we look at um, the criminal justice system in our state, including um, how we handle those um, possession uh, simple. Possession offenses at a misdemeanor level to try as hard as we can to not drag them further into the criminal justice system. Um, I know I know prosecutors have a lot of um, respect for the the recommendations in the bill, with the exception of, of, of this one. Um, but we have seen prosecutors over time and, and um, throughout the state in different areas that will send people to prison on these simple drug possession. Um, charges or convictions and and it's like i said before research is very clear that that is counterproductive um to helping those individuals succeed and it doesn't make our communities or neighborhoods any safer
0: ron gordon i'm wondering about the you call them gatekeepers the new gatekeepers under house bill 348 under recommendations as i understand it somebody would have to decide okay you get diverted into rehabilitation and you get charged and and uh, you know, potentially go to prison, and uh, so there's a lot of pressure on those people, right, to get it right, that you don't have dangerous people coming through and going out and committing crimes.
4: Right, and, and Mike mentioned something that's key to this process, and that is making sure that every offender has the screening and the assessment done. These screening and assessment instruments uh, help identify those individuals that are higher risk, and those who have higher needs and those who have lower risk and lower needs. And that's one of the ways that we can understand who is safe to be in the community and who is simply not safe to be in the community. It's the combination of the appropriate treatment level with the appropriate supervision level that really helps us find success when we're supervising offenders. If we supervise a low level offender too much, we make them worse. If we supervise a high risk offender not enough, we risk public safety. But when when everybody has this risk and needs assessment done, then we have a lot more confidence that we're making good decisions and that we are keeping the public safe. So that's a key component to everything we do is making sure that we have that upfront assessment for every offender.
0: We turn back to Mike Haddon, uh, or, or nearing the end of this segment. But Mike Haddon, I wondered uh, there is a, a mental health piece of this as well, right? The, the drug um, part of this gets a lot more publicity, but I imagine there are mentally ill people in prison. Is that the case?
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, unfortunately, um, not only in Utah, but across the country, the prison system is. Uh, become the, the de facto mental health institutions for the state. And, you know, part of what's included in this package, especially through the budget, is um, our ability to ramp up services for those that are that, that are mentally ill um, inside as well as outside. Um, it, it would be tragic, and it is tragic, if we have somebody suffering from a mental disorder that can be stabilized either through counseling or, or psychotropic medications that aren't receiving that and end up violating the law coming back to us Uh, due to a mental illness, Um, you know, based on information from the Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health, 88% of the mental health treatment needs in our state are going unmet. Um, Sometimes this is a co-occurring disorder, so they're struggling both with substance abuse and mental health problems, and sometimes they um, self-medicate for their mental health problems using illegal substances. So it's important that we address that population as well, and that's a focus of our department, and I think for these, these reforms in general.
0: Ron Gordon, uh, under this plan of recommendations, um, people would receive rehabilitation and go go on that track. So you're going to need more people to work with that. Does that mean ramping up more money, more drug courts, more mental health courts?
4: It does involve an, an investment in infrastructure as far as the treatment infrastructure is concerned. And that's something that uh, Representative Hutchings mentioned in the earlier segment. That's why we need an upfront investment. We will avoid building not just hundreds of thousands of additional prison beds through this. And so we will avoid hundreds of millions of dollars. But to get there, we need that initial investment. And he mentioned that the, the fiscal note, the cost of the bill is about $15 million. And that is to make sure that we have the appropriate levels of treatment the full continuum of treatment not everybody needs the exact same level of treatment and it's not unusual for an offender to need differing levels of treatment throughout the entire uh, treatment episode it's to make sure that we have therapists that are covering the state we have areas in the state right now where we just don't have the treatment available it's not that people don't want to receive it it's there just are not therapists in that area so that's all part of this bill is making sure that the resources are there. And this is one of the reasons why we have described this bill as a complete package. It's not an opportunity to pick and choose which reforms we want. They all go together, and we need to pass the bill as a complete package, and it needs to be completely funded because it doesn't do us any good to pass a bunch of new laws and not have the resources to implement them.
0: We'll leave uh, this segment uh, there. We'll move on to our next segment following a break, but uh, thanks very much, Ron Gordon, Executive Director of Utah Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Mike Haddon has been with us, Deputy Director of Administrative Services at the Utah Department of Corrections. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us. We will uh, bring on Anna Brower, Public Policy Advocate with ACLU of Utah. They're supporting these measures. Uh, Following break, we'll also be talking with Representative Angela Romero, a Democrat from Salt Lake City, the legislature. And uh, we hope to hear from you. What do you think about this? Glenn emailed in. He's essentially in support of this and outlined uh, some reasons. Uh, have you had experience with this? Maybe a, you yourself or, uh, or a loved one? Uh, what do you think should be done? House Bill 348 says its sponsor, Representative Eric Hutchings, would be an epic shift in how the state treats offenders. Prosecutors are skeptical. They say there might be unintended consequences. Reducing charges and sentences could be counterproductive and send the wrong message. Love to hear what you think. 1 800 826 1495. 1 800 826 1495. UPR access at gmail.com. UPR access at gmail.com. And you can join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. More following the break. The Be Well moment is made possible by the USU Department of Human Resources Wellness Program at
2: usu.edu/slash HR. One of the simplest types of physical activity is walking. It's also one of the most beneficial. Walking benefits the body in many ways. It's known to decrease stress, blood pressure, get people off medications, improve sleep, boost energy, preserve muscle, and improve blood sugar levels. Many state and national campaigns encourage 10,000 steps per day, so walk to work, walk at lunch with a friend, or just have a walking meeting. If you've been inactive for a while, try to walk more steps than the day before. Over the past four years, my pedometer has become my exercise buddy. It's always there for me, rain or shine. Let's start walking and let the results take care of themselves. Less traffic, healthier bodies, and cleaner air. This is Addison Pace for the Be Well program at Utah State University. Be well, Utah.
3: As a way to recognize the efforts made by its water scientists and engineers, Utah State University is celebrating 2015 as the year of water. Tune in throughout the year as UPR's Jennifer Pemberton and a team of reporters follow scientists into the lakes, streams, and snowfields that are the source of our drinking water, our agricultural industry, our stunning scenery, and our world-class recreation. Join us at 9 a.m. on the last Friday of each month for The Source, an hour-long conversation with the people whose knowledge is used to manage Utah's most precious resource. Support for legislative programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our listeners and AARP Utah, a nonpartisan social change organization with a membership helping people 50 and over improve their lives by providing materials, programs, and advocacy on key issues. More information is available at aarp.org.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about Utah's criminal justice system. And Representative Eric Hutchings, who we heard from earlier in the program, he's a Republican from Kearns. He says his criminal justice reform bill, House Bill 348, would result in an epic shift in how the state treats offenders. Uh, He uh, is very optimistic. He says he's been uh, concerned about these issues for years and uh, that with the uh, possible prison relocation, an impetus has has been put behind this, um, and a lot of people are looking at this. The, uh, the need is that's driving this, he says. Renewed interest is the, the need to reduce uh, uh, the prison population and reduce cost. And he says his bill would do that, among other things. Uh, so we're talking about this on the program today. We want to know what you think. Maybe you have uh, experiences here or, or a loved one. We'd uh, love to get your attitude here, 1-800-826-1495, gmail at gmail.com, and we're on Twitter at Utah Public Radio. Later in the program, uh, coming up, uh, we'll uh, get her in briefly at the end of the program, be Representative Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. She's busy at the legislature. We bring in now Anna Brower, public policy advocate with ACLU of Utah. Welcome to the program.
5: Hey, thanks so much. It's really nice to be here with you.
0: And uh, so I believe you are, at ACLU of Utah, supportive of House Bill 348, uh, maybe not getting everything that you would like in criminal justice reform, but a good start. Was that how you would characterize this?
5: That is a very good characterization. The recommendations that are in the bill definitely don't go nearly as far as the ACLU of Utah would like, but there are a lot of really common-sense Forward-moving recommendations in there and reforms, and we're pleased. We think it's a step in the right direction.
0: What's uh, the maybe give him a couple of bullet points? What uh, things you think are most important in 348?
5: Uh, um, Make me pick my favorite kids from the bill, I guess. Um, Well, obviously, the changes to drug law penalties will have an immediate and measurable impact on the number of people who are currently occupying Utah State prison beds, but who pose little to no risk to public safety. We're very pleased with that. There are many other states and also the federal government who are looking at simple drug possession crimes in a different way, recognizing that this is more of a public health issue than a criminal justice issue, and we're pleased that Representative Hutchings and Senator Adams and the members of our Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice have recognized that as well. There are some other sentencing changes. There are some caps on how long judges and the parole board can send people to prison or back to prison for technical violations. These are all good changes that um, won't really compromise the rehabilitative effect of these actions, but will definitely reduce the time that people spend in prison unnecessarily, and therefore um, save us all tax dollars that might be otherwise spent unnecessarily. So there is a lot of good stuff in there. We appreciate that CCJJ, working with Pew, has gone through a very deliberative process and adopted... Some really good reforms and these are these are tried and tested very middle-of-the-road reforms that should do a lot of good for
0: Utah. Uh, We're going to quote to you this is from the Salt Lake Tribune you you went to County Attorney uh, Mark Thomas who's sort of representing prosecutors on this Uh, he says we're concerned that this might send the wrong message talking about 348 uh, uh, one specific thing he doesn't understand why it would take up to four counts of drug possession before the charges increased to a felony so this this idea of sending the wrong message um, what, what would you say
5: I think the only message that, that that the reform sends is that policymakers and lawmakers in Utah care about people and their health and their families and their future opportunity. If you've ever had somebody um, close to you or even not that close to you, you can observe this easily from afar who has been um, struggling with substance abuse problems or addiction. Um, you have to, You have to go through a lot before you can resolve your illness. And you can talk to treatment providers who will attest to the fact that even people who want to do the right thing Who want to get better? Who want to stop hurting their families and turning their they want to start turning their lives around? They will fail in treatment. They will often have to give it a lot of uh, a lot of tries before they get all the way to living clean and sober and being a contributing member of their communities again. So this reform really recognizes the realities of substance abuse. I also want to point out that. A felony conviction has enormous, enormous consequences for people in their lives for years and years and years after the original mistake. So, putting off charging somebody and convicting somebody with a felony for essentially having a substance abuse problem should should always be the state's priority. Being a felon means not being able to rent a home in cities along the Wasatch Front. It means struggling to find a job just about anywhere in our country. Um, It prevents thousands of people from getting public aid and student loans from college. I mean, I think – I know it will be difficult and quite a culture shift for prosecutors to to implement these changes, but up until this point, everyday members of Utah's communities have been – bearing the brunt of a very inefficient way of dealing with substance abuse problems. And I think the message that the reforms send is, okay, we've looked at the research. We understand how substance abuse works. Um, We understand that the way we're dealing with it now is not working. And we're willing to try something different that doesn't create so many burdens for members of our community who mess up once, twice, three, maybe four times, but who really need sustained treatment and assistance.
0: We're talking with Anna Brower with uh, ACLU of Utah, talking about House Bill 348. The bill's sponsor, Eric Hutchings, says this would be an epic shift in how the state uh, treats offenders. Uh, That uh, bill is uh, going to get a hearing at committee, says uh, Representative Hutchings, tomorrow uh, so I want to uh, move off of 348 and to some reforms that uh, perhaps would come down the pike later, and I want to talk about um, um, racial disparities. Um, and and uh, I'm sure you're familiar with uh, John Legend's uh, now famous speech at the at the Oscars. He, he talked about how there are more black men under correctional control today than there were in, in, in slavery. It's gotten a lot of play. I wonder, in Utah, are there racial disparities?
5: I'm sorry, was that for me?
0: Uh, yes. Uh, Anna, Anna Brower?
5: Yes, sorry. Y- I yes. thought you were asking uh, Representative Romero. Oh, no, I'm um, sorry about that. Go ahead. Okay. Um, yeah, there are there are racial disparities in Utah system. It's often remarked, um, that we don't incarcerate as many people in Utah as as some of our fellow states in the US incarcerate. And that's true. We don't have as many people per capita in prison here as in other places across the country, but we um we have similar racial disparities. Our, you know, members of our community who are black or who are latino or um or definitely who are native american uh, are being imprisoned for offenses, drug offenses, at a much higher rate than you would expect based on how people use drugs and how um, how uh, numerous they are in the population. So, um, yeah, and the state's own studies have found that there are racial disparities, especially with, within the juvenile justice system, at every single point along the criminal justice pipeline. Mm.
0: Uh, so, so tell me about uh, some other things down the pike uh, that you would like to see, you know, not addressed in 348, that you would like to see addressed at a future date.
5: Well, I think one of the big things is um, this process that the state underwent with Q is extremely valuable and will definitely produce some positive results for the state. But it basically it starts um, from the moment somebody is sentenced to the time that they are released from prison. So, what we're missing is all of the points along the path to criminal justice involvement that happened before that time. So, interactions with law enforcement, how even students are being um, disciplined in schools and ferreted into the criminal justice system. So, it's a uh, we would love in the future to be looking further up the pipeline at where people are getting trapped in the system. So that, I mean, the best way to keep somebody from going back to prison is to keep them from ever going in the first place. And you have to look at what law enforcement is doing in order to do that.
0: All right. We We'd now have uh, Representative uh, Angela Romero, Democrat from Salt Lake City. That's uh, a very busy time for you. Uh, just have a couple of minutes. Uh, wanted to get your... Your take on House Bill 348, do you support this?
6: I'm a strong supporter of it.
0: And what what do you see as the biggest problems that need addressing, that that, that, in your view House Bill 348 addresses?
6: In Utah, the majority, 62% of offenders are sent directly to prison from court in 2013 when sentenced for nonviolent crime. Um, More offenders were sent to prison for simple possession of drugs than any other criminal offense. And many had only one or even no prior offense prior to the incentive prison. So the goal is with these nonviolent offenders is to get them the services they need, whether that is mental health, whether that's abuse um, education. So the goal is instead of locking people up is to ensure that people are getting the help and services that they need.
0: Just about a minute left. What, what's your prediction? Is uh, The representative Hutchings is quite hopeful. Do you, do you see this passing?
6: I hope it passes, it's a a great need and it impacts communities of color and I represent the most diverse districts in the state of Utah. And and so um, what I'm hoping to do is get people to the resources that they need versus locking them up. If we look at our prison statistics, um, communities of color, especially color overrepresented in the prison penal system and and many of them are there because of drug related activities. And so if we can get people to the services they need versus putting them in prison i think that we will it'll benefit all of us in the community
0: we are out of time much more to be said and uh, this is going to committee i believe uh, tomorrow and we'll see how tomorrow. this spurs exactly. representative angela romero democrat from salt lake City is joined us thank you
2: thanks
0: bye and anna brower public policy advocate with aclu of utah thank you so much thank
5: you thanks for your patience
0: with me as well oh no that's it was that was great uh, so we also had uh, previously uh, Ron Gordon with the uh, Utah Commission on Criminal and Juvenile Justice, Mike Haddon with Administrative Services at Utah Department of Corrections, and we talked with the bill's sponsor, Representative Eric Hutchings, Rep, uh, Republican of Currents. This conversation can continue. We'd love to know what you think. You can email us at upraccess@gmail.com. gmail.com. Join us on Twitter at Utah Public Radio and join us on our website, upr.org, where you can uh, hear this entire program again if you would like. And for my producers, Katie Swain and Bennett Purser, I'm Tom Williams. Thanks so much for listening today. On The Next Humankind, we consider the effect on youth of media violence and a culture that preaches rampant consumerism in our conversation with child development expert Nancy Carlson Page. Also, a look at the challenges for tens of millions of Americans with a family member who is alcoholic. I'm David Freudberg. Join us for Humankind.
2: Join us Thursday night at 8.30 for the first half of Humankind on Utah Public Radio.
0: And programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Crum Brothers Artisan Bread at 300 South and 300 West in Logan, open Monday through Saturday until 3. Featuring lunch panini, salads, sandwiches, and soups, full menu at crumbrothers.com. This is Utah Public Radio, KUSR HD1 Logan, KUSK HD1 Vernal, KUSL HD1
2: Richfield, hd one Moab, KCEU Price,
0: and KUSU FM HD1 Logan. A service of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University.
4: This is Utah Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Access Utah Today. Stay tuned for Zesty Garden coming next. Time now, 10 o'clock.